Welcome to the fourth episode of the Old Testament Bible Hour with Jody. Tonight we're going to take a look at Adam and Eve, a bunch of different parts of Adam and Eve, and uh, as Genesis tells that story <laughs> from the very beginning of the Bible. Um, we're excited for all the feedback that we've received so far, and we're excited to hear even more, so we hope that you're following us socially. We started a Twitter account. We've kind of not blossomed it a whole lot yet as we get some branding going, but um, we'll start pushing that out there a little bit more. So, All right, so tonight, now on with the story. Hey, welcome back to the fourth episode of the Old Testament Bible Hour with Jody. So, so on this segment, we I tell the story uh, that we're discussing, and so on this one... I guess I'm just going to do a little brief uh, review of Genesis okay. from my perspective. Um, first of all, God creates the world. Wait, so really? You're going to do all of Genesis? No, just the Adam and Eve part. Um, <laughs> you could have started at the beginning. Yeah, and so at this one part, then, it, my headers on in my Bible... The headers suck. The Holy Bible. It says, um, God creates the world. And then in this one part, it says, I'm quoting now... And God created man in his image. Mm, thanks for emphasizing the his. In God's image. And God created man in his image, in God's image. Mm-hmm. He created him, he created them, male and female. And God blessed them. Have children, he told them. And then in chapter 2, it talks about God makes man. And it says, the Lord God formed man out of the ground and breathed in his nostrils the breath of life. And so man became a living being. Um, And then, wait, there's one little other part I want to talk about. Uh, You're not reading your headers anymore? Well, no, it's that there was a part that... Was it the rib? Yeah, the rib part. Yeah. Okay, out of the the rib, rib part. Out of the rib... He had taken from the man, the Lord God made a woman and brought her to the man. Oh, after he fell into a deep sleep. The man fell into a deep sleep. Well, then Adam and Eve sin by being tempted by a snake. (laughs) And then God says... Why would anybody ever be confused about Christianity? (laughs) Keep going. And then God um, says... Eat of the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, which we're going to talk about yet. And don't touch it or you will die. And so, of course, they did because the woman, the woman convinced Adam oh, yeah. to take a bite it's from it. Yeah, it is. And so then he takes a bite and then they're like in trouble. And and then after they take the bite of the apple, then they realize they're naked, and then they're ashamed. Or at least that's what my belief is, that they kind of became ashamed. And then um, and then the other part that really gets to me in chapter 3, well, this is, that was part of chapter 3 too, but then it talks about the crushing your head. He will crush your head, and you sink. will bruise his heel. Hmm. It's about the snake. It's to the snake. You know, the talking snake in the story. You neglected to mention the snake was talking. Oh, that's right. This that's, was... isn't it? I well, sh- not, but I said that the snake told them to eat from the tree. I guess you did. But yeah. that, that that thing that catches your eye, isn't that to, that's to the snake. Okay, I didn't know that either. Yeah, it's important. So, and then, um, the man called his wife Eve because she became the mother of every living person. Mm-hmm. So there's this 
really cool person named Eve that is the mother of all people. And then... It's a big grocery bill. And then, for some reason, they get in trouble again, and God what sent him out of Bible the... Bible are you reading? They get in trouble again? So Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. That's when they were busted and sent out, and they had to toil. For all eternity? Well, till they died... And then the man had relations. The man, for some reason, he doesn't... I don't know why, why they don't call him that. And then they had relations, and then they had a baby. And we talked about that previously, right? No, we didn't. Just oh, you yeah. and I have talked about that. Oh. That's how this whole thing started, is you wanted to know the answer to that question. Okay. So we'll All go right. back to that one. All right. So we'll be back. We're... Right. I want to know... No, you're right. We'll be back. Yeah, we'll be back where Jody and I will will uh, discuss and have... I have, a, I have quite a few questions, as you can tell, about... Adam and Eve. Yep. Welcome back. And, well, you kind of heard Jody talking in the background a little bit every once in a while on that last segment. But like I do. Like she does. But she's here and she is going to give her perspective on this story um, for this segment. And so, Jody. Yay! So, yeah. Okay, so retelling the story. Okay, so bear with me because some of this is of lesser importance to the narrative than the other parts, right? So we're going to start with the beginning, like you did. So Genesis is an origin story. So here's where it's fun. I was taught that there was a dude named Adam and a chick named Eve, and they were made from the dirt, and every single person alive on the planet came from these two people. All right, but in an origin story, this is a beautiful metaphor myth to explain to us who we are and where we come from. So there's this guy named Adam, created in the image of God. Incidentally, don't you find it fascinating that there's two different accounts of the creation of man? I'll save that for your questions later. Anyway, we're going to start with the second one. So God created them in God's image, meaning that our very personal, very communal tri uh, triune God who is both male and female, created them in God's image. So let's right away step away from the whole notion that God is male and man was created superior and then there was woman. So that's kind of fun. Boom. So they were created in God's image, which means that they were created to be relational and, and communal and, and interdependent and utterly fabulous and male and female. And they were placed in the midst of this beautiful garden where their work, which they were still working, was um, inspired and it was fulfilling and it was exciting. And I can't think of a cooler job on the planet than getting to name all of the animals. I'm not saying that that happened, but it's in the story. And that would be super cool. And so long story short, then God basically says, like, you can eat of all of the trees of the garden because also that would have been the work of their hands, right? So like Adam and Eve are getting to eat from the work of their hands, except for this one tree that God places in the middle of the garden. And it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So the way I always heard the story on the flannel gram was that God placed this tree there specifically to see if they would obey because the God of the flannel gram stories is an asshole. But better said, it's that... In this gorgeous creation myth, there was um, the fruit of all good things were in the world. And there's this one tree, there's all kinds of different trees, 
But there's this one tree that would take the innocence away from our hero and heroine. And so there's this one tree, and suddenly there's this one wily talking snake, which kind of also makes you wonder if there were any other talking animals at the time. Because do you ever at any point just think, like, I don't know, if I were Eve and I'm tending to all these animals that I've just named, and they're all just, like, going about mooing and, and bellowing, and then a snake walks up and is like, hey, bitch, what's up? I would lose my mind. I don't think you would just sit there and carry on a conversation with the snake. So either all the animals were talking in this gorgeous myth or, you know, it's not real. So anyway, the snake comes up, who is the cleverest of all the animals, and points out to Eve um, that he finds it strange that they can't eat from this one tree. And Eve is explaining to the snake, like you do, that, of course not, God, not being the flannel gram asshole God, had said they could eat of all of the trees, except for this one. And the snake, being wily and the cleverest of all the animals, points out to Eve that the only reason maybe asshole God wouldn't want them to eat of it is because then once they knew the difference between good and bad, they would be like God and they would possess all knowledge. So right away, though, it kind of makes you wonder, too, what the mindset of Adam and Eve was. So if we're talking about the pristine and perfect world, it's not that there was no bad, there was no quote-unquote wrong or quote-unquote disobedience. It's that they were so innocent and so pure in their motivation that they couldn't misstep. All right, so all this conditioning that there's good and bad, right? And it's just that they... Because don't you kind of get the impression when I was... Flannel Graham, Adam, and Eve were kind of stupid to me. It's not that they were good. It's that they were just kind of dumb. Um, and so Smart Snake Man comes along, Satan the Snake, and um, snakes, poor snakes get a bad rap, and convinces Eve that God's just trying to pull a fast one on them and that if they ate from the tree, they would have their eyes open and they would be like God. All right, so here's where I kind of feel like there's some narrative twist, right? So that our author is taking a little bit of a writer's prerogative. Who's our author? Ooh, is, who is the author? I don't know. Really? Oh, we should have talked about that. All right, so the first five books of the Bible are credited to Moses. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. Now, it's important to remember that that also means then that for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, all of these stories were oral. Right? So it's not like Moses was sitting on a mountain. I mean, okay, so we have a story that we we're going to talk about where Moses is sitting on a mountain and God's talking to him and he writes shit down. This is not that story. So there's hundreds of years of oral tradition. And oral tradition is such an amazing thing. I come out of a Mexican tradition where we have stories that are passed down. And it's how you preserve heritage and it's how you preserve story and it's how you preserve identity. And that really is what our story of Adam and Eve is, is it's a story of identity and of heritage. It's not one of history, right? So here we have Eve and the story is being recorded by a man in the Bronze Age. So who's going to be the bad guy? Probably not the dude. Probably not the dude. So, uh, here's Eve going and um, convincing her husband that they should go eat of this tree, the fruit from this tree, and the dreaded apple. 
And you know what cracks me up? I love it when I read people who are writing things like, oh, it probably wasn't an apple. It was probably a pomegranate. It probably wasn't a real fucking tree. So why are we going to argue about the fruit? So anyway, so in our magical fruit tree, our persimmon tree, then Adam and Eve eat of this fruit, and suddenly it says how their eyes were opened. And you know, in the, the creation myth, really the idea is just that then, like, the clarity of things, how things could be in the world, right? The, their own capacity for destruction. Like, that's really what it is. They're tending to this miraculous garden. They're naming animals. They're... Where is the garden? The, the garden I just told you probably doesn't <laughs> exist. <laughs> All right. Well, guy who built the big-ass ark in Virginia, would t or wherever the fuck it is, would tell you that it's in the Fertile Crescent in Mesopotamia. Actually, we're like current, we're modern-day Iraq is, right. so glad we're bombing the shit out of that. But that's for another story on another day. That was sarcasm, BT-dubs. But, ah, so the whole point is that they had their eyes open to the idea that like, and they went from being these um, life givers, these gardeners, these nurturers, these caretakers, these tenderers, to having their eyes open to their own capacity for destruction. Because if they're created in the image of the ultimate creative force, they also have the power for destruction. And so they have their eyes opened, and it's appalling, as it should be, and it's terrifying, as it should be, and they also realize their nakedness. Literal? Probably not. But we've all been naked. Okay, raise your hand if you've had a dream where you're naked in a place where you shouldn't be. Oh, come on. Raise your hand, <laughs> loser. <laughs> And it's not the actual nakedness, right? I'm like usually we... in my boxer. I'm usually not. I don't know. I can't. Oh, seriously? Yeah. Like really? You've never had a naked and uncomfortable naked dream? I don't think so. I don't think I have. Ooh, that's to be analyzed at a later yeah. date. So anyway, um, we've puritanized the nakedness, but that's really not the point. It's not really about, like, um, everybody's things are and bits are dangling in the wind. It's really about um, being fully cognizant of your own light and darkness. Okay, so when we're thinking about, oh, so you ever have that friend that though when you're in their presence, like you have a real mirror, right? Of like, oh God, I could be such a dick. Yeah. 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 I have a person like that. That wasn't a rhetorical question. Why are you looking at me like that? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so anyway. Um, it was kind of that awakening, right, to their own um, dickishness, for lack of a more sophisticated term. And they hid, because up to this point, they had really only understood their belovedness and their blessedness. And, and like a kid, you know, I remember, the, I remember clearly the very first time I was called out. Right. And, right? Oh, clear. and it's shaming, and it's really, it's shaming. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and I remember hide, like literally hiding my face. I was in kindergarten. And it was my favorite kindergarten teacher, Mrs. Russell. And if she's listening to this, totally forgiven her because I was kind of being a little dick. So um, the Lord comes and it says the Lord was walking in the garden. Also kind of a fabulous image, right? And um, looking for them. Because they were created for companionship. And so then suddenly to be missing... Because that's what we were created for. Community and relationship. And, and what gets in the way of community and relationship... 
All right, see, so here's the crux of the question. So everybody thinks, and I, not everybody, there was a huge portion of people in the world to think that death and brokenness and all this shit enters the story when they made the decision to eat from the tree because they were told to not eat from the tree. Right. I am sold out to the idea in the core of my being, in the marrow of my bones, that when death entered and when the relational destruction happened was the moment Adam and Eve felt ashamed. Because there is mm. nothing more damaging in the ex existing created world than shame. Mm -hmm. And they can bring, I'm like, I'm, I'm sold out to this idea because they keep bringing this back. Like when they're talking about addicts, when they're talking about destructive family patterns, when they talk about um, the, the, the long-lasting results and roots of abuse, it always comes back to shame. Mm -hmm. We hide because of shame. We don't hide because we did something wrong. Because half the time when you do something wrong, I love that Miles Davis quote when he says, the note you play isn't wrong, it's the next note that determines if it's right or wrong. Right? So, like, our actions are always, almost always, redeemable. Almost always, like, it's the next thing you do. It's, it's the shame that makes us hide. And so Adam and Eve were hiding because of the shame. And then God calls them out, and of course the God of this story knows what has happened and they admit to it. And Adam being Adam blames the woman, which I find to be a really interesting narrative tool. Um, cause I think at the time Moses probably thought he was like, yeah, look at this crazy bitch you gave me. But now we're all reading that story and going, you fucking coward, like step up and take some responsibility. <laughs> oh, how little has changed. But, and that did set the tone, right? Um, for so much of our own gender roles and gender understanding and messed upness. But the point being that God says, like, what did you do? And they, they tell God as if God doesn't know, um, because asshole flanagram God suddenly is now a nice benevolent God. And God's really bombed out and says, well, now you can't live in this perfect place anymore. And sends them out of the garden to toil the ground and the toiling like all of a sudden the work that they'd been doing that was inspiring and ex and exciting and life-giving is now like backbreaking and hard and of course we all hear the stories um where we all get to curse eve because suddenly childbirth not like she was having babies in the garden apparently but all of a sudden she's having these babies outside and it's you know painful and painful. awful and yeah painful that's the word we're going to use or our bodies are being torn in half but <laughs> Either way, um, to me, this story is all hinged on what happens in that climax between the ultimate life-giving place and when death and brokenness enter the world. Okay, so we're back, and this is the time when I ask questions just based off of my past knowledge. It should of... be known that he just took a real big hit of whiskey, <laughs> y'all. <laughs> oh, and by the way, after we after I've drove for six hours today, as we went out to see a An opera. performance by our UNL opera kids, yeah, um, it was amazing out of North Platte. The, I ugly cried, by the way. Yeah, the Bow the Baby Doe, which was beautiful in the Fox Theater out in North Platte, so it was a fun experience and um they should be applauded it was a good they time should. Good, actually good kids yeah it was lovely good kids and now and, we're talking about this <laughs> and we got to ride out with mary beth shomos who is a delight for us and we really have a great time with her and we so that did was, yeah so oh she's, she's lovely really, she's really fun too so that so, woman's full of fire she is she's awesome um so 
I guess my question is that one, the Moses thing threw me for a loop. Really? Like, I don't think I've ever heard that before. That he's like, like the author. Is he a ghostwriter? Did he have ghost author? Yeah. No. What leads us to believe that that it was Moses? Really? Yeah. Okay, so you've heard of like the top. How deep do you want me to go in this one? Not too bad. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So it's pretty much like common knowledge rabbinic teaching that Moses wrote the Talmud, which are the first five books of the Bible. Are they in order? Are the first five books in order? Well, generically speaking, yeah. I mean, the first five books, if you read them, are we've talked about how the Bible's not chronological. But the first five books are in the sense that the flow of them is pretty chronological. Mm -hmm. But, Brian, my partner in crime, do you remember what the oldest book in the Bible is? Mm. Written before the Talmud. Oh, stars in heaven. Seriously? Haven't I just admitted to driving six hours today? Did you know the answer before you drove six hours? I might have. No. <laughs> Is it Deuteronomy? Oh, God. It's part of the first five, you spaz. <laughs> oh, he's counting, y'all. He is counting in his head. It's the one I told you that talks about dinosaurs. I was in the top, I was in the top five. It's not in the top five. Oh, you said it was in the top no, five. No, the oldest book in the Bible isn't in the top five. Psalms? Written by King David much, much later. Nice try. It's the one with dinosaurs. I don't know. Job. Job. Job is the I oldest book in the Bible, that. team. Oldest book in the Bible. That. I always forget that. Predates a lot of the stories in the Talmud. Quite a few, actually. It's pretty cool. And dark. I love it. So, yeah, the talking snake. Yeah, thing. talking snake. I mean, that just seems... It's a narrative like tool. Why? It's really not a snake. There really wasn't a talking snake. BT dubs totally don't believe okay. there's an actual okay. Satan. Okay. Ooh, I Whoa. just threw you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, but here's okay, so here's where I get confused by, Guys, I broke him. Is if Adam and Eve weren't real people. Sure. But then it started a chain of people being born. Sure. And so how can there be a chain of people being born from Adam and Eve if if Adam and Eve weren't real people. Real people. Okay. That's an interesting question. And still assuming a lot. Because you're still assuming that everyone came from Adam and Eve. So we won't touch that one. Mm-hmm. Flannel Graham. Ah! It's not a historical writing! <laughs> okay, so there's a couple ways to think about this. Here's one really important one. Adam and Eve is really the origin story, not of all of mankind, but of the... Hebrew people, right? Jewish people. This is their origin story. We claim rights to it by being part of the tree that Jesus talks about grafting. Okay, so that's getting all deep and blah, 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 blah. The other thing is that it's a creation myth. It's a story told to create a, to impart a bigger truth. And so really, I'm inclined to believe that Adam and Eve are representative of a time when divine consciousness entered mankind, right? So evolution is happening. BT dubs, I know nothing about evolution. I will admit candidly because I grew up in a school that was taught that, you know, like dinosaurs didn't make it onto the ark and that I can prove that the earth is 6,000 years old because of moon dust. So I know nothing. 
Okay, so more questions for me. My okay, so the going back a little bit, but the putting him in a deep sleep and then out of the rib he had taken from the man he made a woman. Yeah. Like what what's that what what's that symbolic of? Like what is it what's that trying to tell us? The side piece, the companion piece, oh, the okay. person piece. You know, it's been twisted into this, like, from man was born woman, you know, and then every woman in the world would like to remind all of y'all that y'all were born from us. But I think ultimately, originally, even what it was meant to imply was this notion of partnership and companionship and um, knit togetherness. And we can make that... And it's been twisted and you know, perverted into being things about gender roles, about um, who marriage is supposed to be between, which, sweet Jesus, if y'all are still going to the Old Testament to justify your idea of the of marriage being between two straight people, then you need a new argument. But really, I think the root of it is this idea of... Um, we say, and we have a colloquialism, right? Being connected at the hip. Oh, those two are connected at the hip. But there was a, a really beautiful vision in in um, in Hebrew storytelling of like the chest being born and the and the the sacredness of like this part of your body, this cavity that protects your your heart, and for that piece to be metaphorically what is used to create your companion is just it's a, this beautiful image of what partnership should be right and the notion that like you're invested and you really have skin in the game in your relationship um is is really the bigger picture um i guess then the part about the the pain and childbirth, childbirth. yeah I don't know. Maybe they're all just trying to justify that. Why don't we get to lay eggs? I want to lay a fucking egg. <laughs> uh, yeah, that part just bothered me. Too. Yeah, like join I, the club. <laughs> I didn't quite place that one. And then, yeah, and then there's the forcing out, and then like being banished. Yeah, it's like okay, I understand. Then why isn't why did why was there a banishment and not a like okay, reconciliation? Yeah. Okay, so. A couple things. One, remember that the story was written down hundreds of years after man had been conscious and seeking God. And we are already on our way towards... All right, so while I will really readily dismiss a lot of the weird, more superstitious parts of how people read scripture, I believe in the core of my being the most orthodox evangelical part of me believes that all of scripture points to Jesus. And like, that's the hill I'll die on. No pun intended. But when it comes to scripture, there's a lot in this that we'll laugh about and that we'll talk about and that we'll like reorient. But the one thing is that I believe fiercely that the divine part of scripture is that everything points to Jesus. And so even in that bit even in the bit of the origin story about the banishing, it's in our need and our seeking out of redemption. Like we were, we are a people that are hungry for redemption and we are a people who are hungry for things to be redeemed. So we want it to be back to the garden. And 
unfortunately we've like created this notion that what that means is this like utopia and the garden wasn't a utopia what it was though was a place where there was where things were just and where things were were compassionate and where things were were balanced and where all of creation was taken into account that's what the world we're working for now because we're a redeemed people and so I think in the myth, in the, in the Adam and Eve, in the creation myth, it wasn't that they were actually banished. I think the myth was that it was saying, here is what a redeemed world looks like. And this is what we were created for. Because Adam and Eve are a myth, but we were created for this thing. And then shame came into the world. And now we're looking for a redeemer. And now we as a redeemed people have to create the garden again. Mm. All right. Here we go. So you just made a really interesting sound. Yeah, but yeah, but uh, based off of, I I just like that thought that, and I believe we talk about this a lot. Like w what we feel like we're here for in that community, and that here we are, these people that, and that that's what frustrates me with some people is they don't see that why we're here and they think they're just living their lives in my view for for themselves and for me that's not what it's about and it's not what it's about for you either no and that's what that's what hit me was like to put words to it yeah you know what that's i love that. about that though is that i genuinely believe there are people i've met them i've talked to them i know them by name who don't define themselves as christians or go to a church or ascribe to a creed who are actively working for a redeemed world. Mm -hmm. And then I know a lot of people who call themselves Christians who are not, who are actively seeking to be separatists or to protect themselves or to protect their children or, you know, um, to hide out. And that's what we mean when we talk about redemption, though, ultimately, right? Isn't just some unseen soul thing it's like all of all of creation longs to be redeemed mm -hmm. our relationships our personalities our brokenness our our created world our work everything longs to be whole mm -hmm. not christian not sanitized not spiritualized just whole Okay, I know we're wrapping up here, but one other thing, because we talked about a little bit, was the point of, because you hear, we hear it a lot, especially when the war in Iraq was going on, right? Oh, was we going on? Well, okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it continues to go on. Um, but that's why, that was the place that everybody talks about that. And why, why do we cling to that? Do we, do we need to feel like it was a place? Why do we cling to the idea that the Garden of Eden was a real place yeah, in Mesopotamia? Because, yeah, because that's what, you know, because people talk about. They're like, oh, look, and they can point to it. Oh, I know, like, Babylon. Man, Babylon, the real Babylon is in Iraq. And it's heartbreaking because there's actually a tremendous treasure of biblical archaeology in Iraq. And I don't know, to get superstitious about that feels a little ridiculous to me. It's just that it really is the heart of civilization. But we, I think part of it is that we want to justify our presence in the struggle so we spiritualize it and we make it be about superstition or 
oh, you know, age-old arguments. And it's like, no, we're in Iraq for reasons that have to do with money and oil and power and greed. Mm -hmm. We're in Iraq for the reasons that have to do with the dark side of the garden story. Which, if we're going to make it be about that, let's make it be about our own capacity for destruction. That's why we're in Iraq. Mm -hmm. um, but the garden, yeah, I mean, you know, I don't know. Scientists now say life began in Africa, so do with that what you will. Kevin Ham or whatever the hell your name is, guy with the Ark Museum. <laughs> so <laughs> it's fascinating to me, but that's what it is. All right, we're back. We're wrapping up this fourth episode of the Old Testament Bible, Old Testament Bible Hour with Jody. You just drove for six hours, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> I get to work tomorrow. Uh, join the club. Yeah, you get to work tomorrow too. I yeah. do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're picking out the topic, and oh, yeah. um, that oh, we'll hey. do in a couple of weeks. So, if you have questions or comments. If you think you're going to write and call me a heretic and you're the first one, hate to break it to you. But also, like, I would love to hear your your comments or your questions. Um, I don't pretend to be an expert. I just know a lot of weird shit. So you can find us at, what's our handle on Twitter? Well, I know Rye. that if you go Old Testament Bible, O-T-B-H, you'll, you'll find it. OTBH okay. is how I it starts you. out. Just because it's the it's such a long thing, so we shortened it down into that. I think it's OTBH Bible Hour. Oh, hey, did like we put that. in our new... Okay, so I'm drawing from the thing. And by the way, we're taking suggestions. Yeah. And Elise and Jordan had a suggestion. Did it make its way into the... No, it didn't. Okay. Yeah. So, well, next week, team, Elise and Jordan, if you're listening, um, David and Bathsheba will make their way, because that's a damn good story to talk about. And props to Elise for understanding the feminist theology in that. Feminist theology doesn't mean what some people think it means. It's just really awesome. Okay, I'm turning, turning, turning. Let's see. Oh, please let it be an easy one after the last three I've gotten. All right, let's reach it. Um, Noah's Ark. Oh, yes. Really? Yes. This is what you want to know about? Yeah. All right. There's a lot about that. that... That's cool. Let's yeah. talk Noah's Ark. Yeah, we'll talk Noah's Ark. I should make it known that all of these topics were decided on more or less by you, your son, and my daughter. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I had no say in this. Yeah. All right. Noah's Ark it is. Noah's Ark it'll be. And, no, we're, yeah, suggestions. And, um, yeah, we're kind of just building things yet. And then we'll, um, uh, yeah. But, no, if you go to that, you'll be able to see, you'll be able to link to the podcast on our Twitter account as well. So yeah. you'll be able to get to it easily that way. And we hope you're subscribing to the podcast as well on iTunes. And we're on Google Play. And it's based off of Anchor. So we appreciate you listening. And have a great next couple of weeks. Yep. Take care, y'all.